Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. The Boston Marathon, how to train to be ready to crush the Boston Marathon. Many athletes are gearing up to run the elusive Boston Marathon this April. We are less than three months away from that day. The Boston Marathon is not an easy course, as many people know. A lot of runners work their whole lives to get to the point where they qualify for this race, and we want to make sure it's a great experience for anyone who's listening who's going to be running this year, or anyone who's listening who just wants to know more about the course. It's an amazing race, but you have to be ready for those hills. We're going to do a deep dive into what to expect from the course and just the marathon in general, and how to train to be in the best shape possible for the hills on race day. Today, I have with me Coach Jason, who has ran the Boston Marathon twice, and he is also a coach at the D3 college level, um, coaching track and cross country. He also has about 10 years of coaching experience at the club level, coaching marathoners and adult runners also. So to kick off this call, I guess I will ask Jason, tell me about your first Boston experience. What was your qualifying time the year that you ran? And what sort of time did you run on the Boston course the first time you ran? Yeah, my first Boston, I believe, was in 2014 or 2015. I get them mixed up because I did them back to back. But anyways, it was the year it was it was pretty cold. 2015, I think it was pretty cold and windy and rainy conditions, but um, not like the monsoon year in 2017, but or 2018 rather. Um, but I think I, you know, I had originally qualified in 2012 with a 246. I didn't use that time, and I had to requalify a few years later. And I think I did at LA with a 258. I want to say, um, or 303. My wife is telling me at Las Vegas. So I, um, the 258, I think, was for the next year. But anyways, I um, first year at Boston, it was you know, you're just taking it all in. You've heard about the course, but you don't really, you don't really, um, you can't visualize the hills until you're out there running it. And, um, I was so cold and because it was rainy, I really wasn't focused on the hills. I was just focused on just trying to maintain my rhythm and not slow down and try to stay as warm as I could. So, um, really the next year is really when I got a good look at the hills when it was a sunny day to look, you know, to see how bright everything was and it wasn't raining my eyes and that sort of thing. So, I just remember being in being in really good shape the first year I ran Boston. I had a pretty good time there. I, I think I ran 249. Um, my goal was to PR at 246, so just a little shy of that. But I think I was in 246 shape, obviously, on a flat course. And um, I just remember staying on pace till I got about a half mile past Heartbreak Hill, so around mile 21. Then it started to really hit me, and I started to slow down. Um, and so the next year, I'll probably get into this a little bit later, but I, I really had a rough experience at Boston. Um, I ended up walking quite a bit, and, you know, that was a hot year, so I was cramping. Um, the hills just really got to me there, and I didn't feel properly. Um, my fitness was probably a little bit, you know, less than what it, ha- than what it was the year prior. But um, all in all, it's, 
it's a great experience. I think that, you know, if you have the opportunity to go out and run Boston, you definitely need to do it. It's probably the most um, iconic races in far as I guess I've never run NYC, but there's just people everywhere, like constantly runners on the course, but also spectators. So I've never done a race where I have that many people around me to help pace me. Yeah, I love hearing, you know, the two different um, versions that you've had at Boston. So the first year you ran it, you ran pretty well with the 249. You know, that's a pretty good time, especially on the Boston course, maybe your fastest time. Um, But then the next year going out there and running 325, um, it's just so funny because you can be in the same fitness, but, you know, the weather and the course and just all of the factors that go into this race just make it uh, such a challenge. And it's not even the hills, I think, necessarily. That's the only challenging part. I think um, there's two other factors that we could go into here that just really make it hard. And so you're bringing the best of the best to all run this race. I mean, everyone who's running Boston, if you qualified, I mean, you are, like, in my opinion, just right there with, like, quote-unquote elite athletes or sub-elite, you know, I mean, you know what you're doing. Um, You've done marathons, you've ran well, you're a fast runner, and you're experienced. And you go there, and everyone else at that starting line is exactly like you. So, I mean, like, there are, there's no one there that's, it's not like a regular race. Uh, You always have people to run with. It's shoulder to shoulder. It's very competitive, and it's, uh, it's pretty intense at times, but it's also really cool because, where else are you ever going to run with a bunch of people who are, you know, the same level as you um, as a runner? So I guess um, just going into some of the other things that can impact this race that are the big ones besides the hills, of course, is the time of day that it's ran and then also the weather. So how did you prepare for those things, if at all, or what can you do to prepare for those two unknowns? Yeah. Well, time of day is, uh, I believe 10 AM or 10 30 in the morning. So you're basically, you know, you've been up for quite a few hours. Um, I just did a, quite a few of my long runs at that time, kind of that late morning on the weekends, as opposed to, you know, traditionally getting up and running at seven or 8 AM. I just waited a little bit longer to make sure I was fueled and, you know, went to the bathroom enough and all that. So I think time of day, you just, you just have to do a few long runs to kind of get acclimated to that. Um, waiting around definitely is, is a tough part of Boston, especially, you know, 90% of people, they take the yellow buses out there and you get dropped off and you're out there, I don't know, two hours before the race starts. And if it's, if it's cold, then it's really tough to be out there. Or if it's hot, again, you're trying to get under the tent or find any bit of shade you can. So I think just being prepared with the proper attire. Um, and, you know, if it is hot, obviously it's, fewer layers as possible, wear light clothing, wear, you know, sunscreen, all that, making sure you have all your nutrition, your electrolytes, all that. Um, but if it's cold, you definitely want to bring plenty of throwaways. Um, and one thing, one mistake I think we both made the first year was we threw away our throwaways a little too early and noticed that people, you know, as you're walking to Boston, as you're walking to the corrals, it's probably like three quarters of a mile to get there. And people are ditching um, their clothes uh, before they even get to the corral and you'll see it on the side of the road you'll see people with garbage bags picking it up and so you start to wonder oh should I be throwing it away now because it's your first time you, you haven't really seen the corrals yet you don't know what to expect and the answer is no if it's cold just hang on to it go to the porta potties when you get into the corrals keep your your clothes on until you even get into the corral and not until the race starts and your corral starts moving literally in the minute or two before you're going to cross the start line that's when you want to ditch your clothing so that's my advice for that um, and again, throw, 
you know, I would always keep gloves on and maybe arm warmers or hand warmers too is a good thing to have inside your gloves if you're trying to stay warm that way. Um, but plenty of layers that you don't care about that you're willing to get rid of, including pants. Great. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I love how we're diving into like the whole chat about the wave start and the corrals and everything because there's so many fast runners and there's so many people that do run this race. You know, if you're listening and you did maybe a smaller race where there was only, you know, 1,000 to maybe even 8,000 runners, um, this race will be very different for you. It's going to be a different experience. Um, there's tens of thousands of runners running. Uh, so it it has... Not only does it have different uh, waves that you go into, um, I personally, I think, you know, my fastest qualifying time there was 314, and I was always in that second wave. Um, I think maybe one time I was on the third wave, but, you know, always that second wave, even with a time like that. Um, and then there's different corrals within each wave. So, you know, you'll be like ABC, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, that can really play a role as to like when you're starting the race, uh, Jason, he said that he got to start, you know, at 1030 or right when the race starts kind of like the elites and then all the fast, really fast people get to go first. Um, whereas if you're in a wave that's further back, you know, if you're in one of the last waves, you're going to be waiting around to start even longer. And these are all just things to think about when you're thinking about fueling in your racing plan. Um, cause we're three months out right now and, this is the time where you have to figure out fueling. And so, Jason, what did you do to fuel before you run a marathon? Because, um, you know, you're not finishing this race till one, maybe, maybe two in the afternoon, your time. So how do you prepare your body to, like, run in the middle of the day and complete a 26.2-mile race? Uh, did you eat more? Or, like, what did your feeling look like for this marathon versus a marathon that starts at 8 a.m.? Yeah, I think I basically would always eat – you know, within the first hour of waking up. So eat my normal breakfast routine, whether that's, and that might vary if I'm on the road versus at home, but it might just be like a piece of toast with peanut butter and a banana or something. Um, and then maybe like an extra banana, whatever I can find, or like a half of a cliff bar, something like that in addition. So that's normally what I would eat. Um, so I did probably eat that at 6 a.m. when I was getting ready to go to the buses. And then Again, like two hours later, I basically repeat the cycle and just ate the same thing. So that I ate basically a second breakfast and twice as many calories. So that's kind of what I would do. Um, so I probably ate around six and then again at maybe 8.30 or, yeah, probably about 8, 8.30 because I was getting ready to run at 10. So I think eating twice as much as what you're used to doing before a long run in the morning. Um, and then with hydration, it's kind of just, yeah, what you would normally do and and trying to add to that as well um and then as far as on the course for fueling you know again this is going to depend if on the weather big time for me so the year it was cold i i don't think i took much in as far as nutrition i had a little bit of gatorade and water and maybe like one goo um the year it was hot i probably you know if i was going to do it again and it was hot i would probably have four four goos or four of something whether that's shot blocks or the gum, the chews or whatever it is. Plus I'm going to have Gatorade and water alternating between those at every stop, um, as well as salt tabs or Endurolite or something to provide those, um, electrolytes to prevent cramping. So your feeling on the course is really going to be dependent on the weather and what you've practiced and incorporated in your long runs. Right. So it's a good advice to start, you know, practicing and making sure that, you have summer long runs where you're practicing this delayed start where you can practice the fueling 
just make sure you can let your body know what's to come. Because um, if you're doing all your long runs, you know, at 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 a.m., you're not going to be able to have time to practice that fueling plan, and that's going to be very, very important. Um, so really emphasizing on the fueling, that's something that you can be incorporating right now to be at your advantage. But the other factor is the weather, and I think that's one of those big giant question marks that's looming over everyone's head. You're not going to really know what the Boston Marathon weather is going to be like until you're about a week out, maybe two weeks out, um, and even then it changes. I know, I think it was last year, it was predicted to be very rainy and cold, and you know, it started rainy and cold, and then immediately flipped a switch to hot and humid. So it can really just vary, um, but Jason, how would you practice to be prepared for any situation on race day as terms of weather, because you've ran it in both extreme conditions. And what what are some tips that you would give people to be prepared? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely probably easier for, for people like us who live in the Midwest who are going to get similar weather conditions. Um, you know, we're going to have those days where it is really cold, rainy, windy, um, but also it could start to get somewhat warm in April um, as well. So for people that live down south where they don't really get the chance to train in the cold, it's going to be tougher for them. You know, they're going to be acclimated to the heat. But um, so for us, it's just going out and running in the cold and the, in the wind, especially in the February, March months. Um, as far as for heat training, I'd say do, doing some inside, maybe in the treadmill or, or um, sitting in the sauna before a run and stuff like that. Um, as far as, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're in a, if, let's say you live in Florida, it's really hard to train for that cold. Um, I would say wind would be your best, best bet. You know, if it's supposed to be rainy or windy on a certain day, you know, move your long run or move your workout to that day so that you're out there literally having to mentally, uh, show grit through that, through those tough conditions. Cause you're probably not used to it. You know, you're probably used to like waiting for the perfect day. Like, Oh, I'm not going to run this workout on this day. It's supposed to rain. Well, no, you want to actually <laughs> look forward to those days and try to go out and get and suffer through it because that's, that's just what you could be up against that Boston. And so you want to train for the worst. Um, and then hopefully it's, it's a decent day. I'd say every, I think about every three to four years, they get a pretty good day out there. So I think they might be due this year. Right. Yeah. I love the tip about, you know, train for both conditions. You want to be prepared for both. It could be horrible and cold. It could be, you know, hot and humid. So you want to make sure you're training in both types of conditions and just doing whatever you can to, you know, always stay on top of that big unknown factor. Uh, you know, the treadmill can be great for heat training if you're living in the cold. Um, but also as we approach into March, you know, that's when peak week is and middle of March. And if you can get out the door around, you know, middle of the day for a long run on a sunny day, that's going to really help uh, with the, the heat and the sun effect. Um, I think that'll be a good plan for most people just so that your body can get used to heating or to running when it's really hot and when the sun's beating down on you in the middle of the day Um, because that's going to be huge at Boston if it is a hot day. So another thing, you know, we're talking about getting ready ahead of time. A big question that we always get asked is, should you buy the jacket ahead of time and can you wear the jacket ahead of time? Um, I... Yeah, I'd say it's fine to buy your jacket ahead of time. I I don't think I wore mine until I ran the race just because I didn't want to, I don't know, just didn't want to jinx anything. But I think, you know, if you wait, I mean, they're, they're going to be priced the same if you wait till you get out there. And they're, they're selling those things everywhere in Boston too. Basically on the street, um, any of the sporting good um, stores out there, you can get your jacket. 
I, I definitely wouldn't wait until like after the marathon's over. You don't want any places to sell out, but you know, you can get them at the expo or before, you know, when you get there on like Saturday or something. But, um, yeah, I don't have a lot to say on this. I know, I know Victoria and others, they like to get the jacket and just, it, it's a good motivator to be, to have it and to be thinking about it as you're training all winter. So I like it from that aspect. Yeah, good answer. A lot of people buy it ahead of time. I like to buy it ahead of time just to make sure they don't sell out of my size. Um, you know, if you're getting there on the last day of the expo, they could be running low on your size. So just, you know, get it ahead of time. Why not? Um, you know, one thing that struck me is like on the plane ride to Boston, everyone was like wearing their jackets. So that's one thing to think about. Um, if you want to wear your jacket or a a jacket from the past, that's always kind of what people do on the plane. Um, but yeah, in terms of like race day and stuff and sitting on an athlete's village and waiting to do your long run, those are all really good tips. Um, what was the course like, you know, the first like 10 K, what can you tell me about the first 10 K compared to what you were thinking it would be? Cause I know they always say, Oh, Boston's downhill. Right? right. And so like, what was your impression of that first 10 K? Yeah, I always thought that Boston was a you know slight downhill with just waiting until you get to mile like 16, 17, and then you're going to have those four hills leading up to heartbreak. Um, I was in for a pretty rude awakening early on, those first six miles. I mean, there's some, there's quite a bit of rolling hills, and I just remember the – I noticed it more the second year I ran Boston because, you know, as I mentioned before, it was sunny, so I could see everything. Um, we were laughing at, during the first mile at just how steep of a downhill you're running, and it's so easy to get out fast. And of course, you know, you don't want to make that mistake of going out too fast your first mile or two in a marathon. So it's really important to be patient and to be aware of just how much of a downhill that is. And then there's definitely a couple uphills. Um, the first, I know the first 10K isn't that downhill, but there are some, I would say, inclines for sure, if you don't want to call them hills, but there's some decent hills. Um, and then, you know, from about 6 to 13, I would say it's just all kind of little rollers, I'd call them, um, some small down stretches and um, there's a pretty part of the course though, because there's a lot of people and, you know, you're getting close to the midway point and Wellesley and all that, and lots of pine trees and, um, uh, it's a pretty area. And then as you get out to, you know, the, the Newton area where all the hills start, that's where the, you're going to really need the crowd support and the hills are no joke. Like I'd say, I mean, I think all four of them are pretty good. I remember the first year I was out there, I thought the third one was heartbreak hill. And then I was in for a brute awakening when I actually got to heartbreak hill and I saw the sign, but um, you know, the other thing is too, I, you can make the top of heartbreak. You can feel good for another mile or, t- or so, but if you, you know, you may start to feel it like a mile after that. And that's kind of what happened to both Victoria and I, I remember we, we shared stories a while back about how, yeah, we felt fine to like 22, 23. And then, you know, we just really started to hit the wall. And I think that those Hills take a little bit of time to maybe, um, show that effect on, on your legs, but, um, definitely the hardest part of the course, 16 to 22. And then, it, I guess the last four are probably the flattest on the course. Um, yeah, I love how you talked about um, not knowing, like, which hill was Heartbreak Hill. And I know, like, everyone talks about Heartbreak Hill and that it's, you know, this this big hill and everyone knows about Heartbreak Hill and they know about the hills at the end of the race. Um, I, I mean, that's the big focus. That's what everyone talks about. But the whole course, for me, in my opinion, the first year I ran out there, I mean, there were hills all over the course that, in my opinion, were pretty big. And like, I was like, oh my gosh, what is Heartbreak Hill going to look like? And really, it's just a hilly course all around. Um, The entire time is hills. 
you know, there's really not a lot of flat stretches. Uh, even in that first 10K, it's either you're going down or you're going up. I mean, yeah. it's it's extreme. Um, it's almost like a little roller coaster thing going up and down. And we're from the Midwest here, so we don't have a lot of hills. Um, you know, if you look at our typical runs that we would do around here, you know, a five-miler, maybe 100 feet elevation and some people listening if you're from a mountainous region you know I have some athletes that are you know in various parts of the country where it's a lot hillier you know like Maryland or you know Tennessee some some places just have more hills and so you know your five mile run might have 400 feet of gain and so you might be more acclimated to the hills than we are um, but if you're someone who lives in a flat area you know like Texas or Florida, um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, like the Midwest area, or just a region that just does not have a lot of hills. Um, if you're someone who does a seven mile run and you only get like 200, 300 feet gain, um, this is for you. Uh, you gotta do hills. I mean, you just have to, I mean, all of your runs should be like you just find them all the hills, like don't do anything but hills, do all of your workouts on hills, you need to train on hills. Um, I don't know how many more times I can emphasize that, but you will not regret um, doing more hill workouts and making your runs hillier because it, it does something to your legs and it's a different type of running um, than running on flat ground. You might be in great shape to run super fast on a flat course or even just like a moderately hilly course, but that will not translate on the Boston course. You have to be prepared for the hills. Otherwise, you're just going to get eaten alive. And I think we see that a lot. Um, people go out there and they think, you know, it's a PR course. or they're, People get excited. You know what I mean? Like you, you qualified. You finally got in. This is your chance. And people put a lot of, you know, pride in that and they're excited. And I totally get that. I was the same way when I went out there. Um, trained really hard and everyone's like it's not a PR course like don't try to you know hammer it and I was like no I'm gonna be conservative I was somewhat conservative about my goals but just like having that mindset and just going all in and just taking it very seriously it it was a bit of a a little heartbreaker even though I ran you know well the first time I, I ran 320 which at the time was like a couple seconds off a of PR um, but I just remember like the magnitude of how difficult the course was. I, I didn't, and it's not even that the course is that hard. I think the weather plus the course combined just really got to me. Um, so just when you're training, just keeping in mind that there are, you can train for that course and you can be so ready for it. Like I was my first year and just do everything that you can and train correctly, but knowing that there are parts of Boston that may be uncontrollable um the weather being one of those things and so throughout your training um putting yourself in situations where you know there are uncontrollables or where you're very uncomfortable um because I I was just not expecting that it could rain like it did that year um so if you're not used to running in the rain that would be a great thing to start adding into your training, um, running in the rain, running in the cold, running when it's hot, um, running when you're tired. You know, they, they interviewed Sarah Sellers who came in second place, um, in the Boston marathon in 2018, uh, the year of like the hurricane and 
like all the elite runners like dropped out or like she beat them and she was just like in the regular corrals she was just like a regular runner she didn't have any lead bib um and they were like who is this who's the second place woman and she's they, you know, they interviewed her after and she's like, well, I just, you know, like do my long runs after working as a nurse, like on my feet for 12 hours. And sometimes I'm just like really mentally exhausted. And there is something to be said about like training in adverse conditions and um, having that mental aspect um, about your training. Um, it's not always going to be perfect. And so I think having training where things aren't always going to be perfect conditions can really help you prepare for that. Um, and then just in general, like, talking about training specifically for Boston, you know, you're three months out. What are some things and some workout ideas that people could incorporate to really be prepared for those hills like we were the first year we ran? Yeah, I would say a lot of like strategizing in terms of routes ahead of time. So planning, you know, for for long stretches of hills or rolling hills, or maybe you want to target one hill stretch that's, I don't know, a half mile straight of downhill and you can just you can do downhill repeats and then run back up. Um, obviously, you want to incorporate, like Victoria mentioned earlier, a lot of your tempos with the hills in it. And this will force you to kind of adjust paces a little bit, but your effort should still be, you know, according to um, what it would be if it was on flat. So your pace might be a little slower and that's okay. You don't want to still stress to try to run your pace because then you're going to be probably working too hard and you may not complete the workout or be able to, you know, run run at that same um, just complete the workout or run for that long that you're the long distance that you're targeted for the workout. So I would say, um, obviously lifting could play a huge role. We want to make sure we have strong glutes, hamstrings, and quads. Those are going to be the main things. Um, so targeted, you know, targeted those areas. I would do some eccentric lifts in those areas as well. And, um, find a few races maybe leading up to Boston that are longer that are have hilly courses. So maybe find a half like six weeks or two months out or whatever, that is actually pretty hilly. And I think that that's good to get out there. And especially if you do a warm up beforehand and then you're running 13 miles on hills, you know, that's as close as you can get to assimilating running a long distance on a hilly course. Um, I don't know, maybe there is like a 25K in your area. Um, sometimes there's 20, local 20 mile races too that are three weeks out from Boston. So if you can find, find those courses that are hilly as well, I would say, you know, try to do those. Yeah, I think strategizing is a huge thing here. Um, Like you said, just really planning ahead and being conscious of like trying to find routes that have a lot of hills and seeking them out because sometimes it can be really easy to stay in our comfort zone and the routes that we know, um, but really getting outside your comfort zone and doing workouts that are on hilly routes so that you are familiar with what it feels like to go your paces up a hill and down a hill. Um, Cause that's going to be very important. You know, at Boston, it's going to be all ups and all downs and you're going to need to know what it should feel like um, on both the ups and the downs. And so doing workouts that have rolling hills within and throughout is extremely important, um, not only to get your body physically ready for it, but also just for pacing practices. And like you said, finding races that have hills um, will allow you to, utilize this training also. Um, I think that's huge. And other things that you can do is, you know, find some videos online that show the course uh, and you can visualize almost the course. This can help you with your training. You know, visualization is huge with training and knowing where the hills are and being prepared on race day for what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like. I also like to simulate, you know, long runs and long workouts where 
the hills are at you know the end of a workout or maybe you're doing a little bit of speed before and then you do some hill work um like with a steady state or maybe you know you do like a 10 mile warm-up eight mile steady state on some hills you know for a long run um but yeah any other advice for being ready for those hills um i mean for me i'm always a little because of my history with calf <laughs> injuries i want to make sure that i'm i'm not doing too many hills too quickly so i'll do a hill workout i'll recover from it i'll make sure i don't have any setbacks so that's a good rule for everyone is just to you know don't try to go squeeze in all these hill workouts make sure your body adapts to one or two before you start doing too many um but again that's that's you can always incorporate rolling hills in your runs but i'm talking about like hill repeat workouts okay okay so you probably don't want to do more than one of those in a week um and then one other thing I was thinking about was just like when you're there and we talked about this earlier, the, the amount of time that you have to kill the morning of the race when you're standing around, you know, just use that time to really just converse with other runners, get to know people, um, try to take your mind off what's going to happen because you don't want to psych yourself up too much. You know, by that point, there's nothing you could do differently that will have a drastic outcome on your race other than make, you know, executing your race plan and going out not too fast. But, um, you know, there's nothing else that you can change. So basically all the training's done at that point. So just really go in there, you know, staying relaxed. Don't, I know we're not used to having to stand around and wait for two hours before race. So that might be a challenge for some people, but I think that's one tip that I would have is just try to meet some other runners and talk to them and find out, you know, where they live and what the weather's like there and, and how many times they run Boston, that sort of thing. So I know we've met some pretty cool people out there over the years. Um, it's always a fun, fun time to go back and reunite as well. Yeah, it's a super fun race. Um, definitely a buff- bucket list race. And it's really exciting. Um, it's really great to be in the best shape possible so that you can really, you know, soak it in and enjoy it um, and not, you know, suffer through it. It's it's nice to go out there and just have fun with it and take it all in for what it is. Um, it's a super historic course and it's very prestigious. So, With that being said, we're going to do another podcast uh, maybe two weeks out from Boston, kind of going over more logistical details and pacing and how you should be pacing your race and all of that fun stuff. Um, This is just a little tidbit on what to expect, kind of how you should be framing up your training. And, you know, another thing, just make sure you're not doing too much. I think this could just be a useful tip for anyone. Make sure you don't, you know, start pounding 20 milers out this month. Um, You want to make sure it's a progressive overload. You don't want to burn out. You don't want to get to Boston fried. Um, So just take it one day at a time. And we will chat to you guys again in two more months about pacing plans. So if you have any questions or you want to chat with one of us specifically about Boston or work with us, um, on your build up to Boston, you can visit our website at www.runforprs.co. And we can even do a seven day free trial for you. Thanks for tuning in.